Off the Ball on News Talk. Thanks to Air. Catch all the sports you love free on the Air Sport Pack with Air Broadband. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is News Talk's SSE Electricity League podcast. He is Daniel Kelly. And I am Oshin Langan. You can get in contact with him via Addis Mr. Daniel. Or me at Oshin Langan. Uh, Daniel, this week we're going to talk to Damien Richardson. We're going to sure? catch up with him and find out how he's doing. Yeah, one of the one of the modern day legends of League of Ireland football. Uh, everything from his programme notes to his interviews post-match. Uh, even to just his career in general as a player and a manager, he's one of the more decorated people in the modern age of League of Ireland football. And he's had a health scare in he recent has. years. We're going to talk to him about that, but he's through it and he's feeling good and he's feeling fit and he's feeling healthy and he sounds great. So if his sound is anything to go by, he's doing okay. He wants to be back on a touchline at some stage as well. So we'll talk to him about that. Also, we'll ask him about John Caulfield, who he managed while he was at Cork City. Uh, that was obviously during his first stint. During his second stint, he won the league. It looks like City are going to win the league for the first time since Damien Richardson did it back in 2005. They're now 18 points clear, but they're going to have to do it without Shawnee Maguire. He is going to Preston at the end of July, so he's got a couple of games left, but... It's a big, big loss. It is a massive loss. And as we saw on Friday night, uh, he scored a hat-trick against Dundalk, 3-0 win. Well-deserved. And then uh, Saturday morning, Preston come out and make this announcement. So it's very fair to say that Maguire went into the game Friday night knowing it was one of his last games in Cork Colours. He could have easily had second thoughts about the game, could have potentially ruined a move to the Championship. But he went out like the professional he is, scored a hat-trick, well-deserved, and it just shows the class of the player and how much he will be missed in the league. Now, on Friday night, before we knew about this move or before we knew it was confirmed, I spoke to Shawnee in Oriel Park after he scored that hat-trick against uh, Dundalk. And I... Asked him about Roy Keane and Martin O'Neill and the fact that they were at the game and that you know he has been linked with a call-up to the Ireland squad. And at that stage, I didn't know he had signed a deal with Preston. Shawnee didn't tell me. He, he looked he, at you in the eye and he lied to you. And here was me thinking we were best friends. That's a joke, by the way. Of course he couldn't say it. Of course he couldn't say it then. I wouldn't have expected him to. And he still did the interview. But you are still best friends. Oh, no, we're still best oh, friends. I've mean, okay, yeah. interviewed him twice. So that Obviously, makes us best yeah. friends. Um, and I call him Shawnee. I mean, so does everyone else. But still, Shawnee. And that secret handshake is still working away. Yeah, I went for it. He didn't really seem to go for it. He was just like, get away from me. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, um, he did a series of interviews after the game. He spoke to everyone who asked, and that's typical of Shawnee. Very mm. kind uh, with his time from what I've seen and um, very open to chatting. And again, it's frustrating for all of us who did interview him that he didn't tell us then. But like, what was he supposed to do? He couldn't yeah. tell us. He, he couldn't. Not his But place. he still talked. So fair play to him. Anyway, something that's still relevant from that interview is the Ireland situation and I said to him with the break coming up does he have to do some thinking and does it come into his thinking that he'll probably have to go to the championship or go to England to get called up for Ireland or or is that is that part of his thinking more so is what I asked him yeah maybe people say but you see last year Daryl and Andy were playing in Europe and playing with Dundalk and he got the call up so I don't think that's the case whatsoever there's there's more experienced uh, strikers ahead of me you know the likes of Daryl Murphy McGoldrick Shane Long I'll go on two or three more you know, obviously Killian Sheridan was lucky not to get called up, but you know, people are talking about me getting called up. You know, it's yeah. still have a lot to learn. You know, it's, uh, I'm only just turned 23, and you know, maybe I know I know myself. One one day down the line, I will throw on the Irish jersey and I will represent my country. But you know, at the moment, I'm, I'm fully focused on Cork City. The fact that they have said they're watching you is that a booster. Does it make any difference to you? No, not at all. You know, you know, there's always going to be heads in the crowd watching uh, wherever you are, and especially in this league because there's many great players. You look at the squad, you know, there's half of them from the League of Ireland at, uh, you know, uh, an age which people think that you're too late to go over. You see Andy and Daryl, main, main example, go over now at 24. And, uh, you know, they're ripping it up, really. You know, towards the end of the last season, they kind of, they felt a bit tired, which is obviously understandable, understandable playing a year and a half of competitive football and playing a lot of games. But um, uh, it's great. This is News Talk's SSE or Tricity League podcast and that was Shawnee Maguire speaking to me after Friday night's 3-0 win against Dundalk. You can tell by my voice I'm not well today and it's all because of Shawnee. He's, he's, broken, he's your, broken me. He's broken your Cork City loving heart. He's broken me. And Kevin O'Connor could do the same. Could literally rip my heart out and throw it on the ground and 
Start dancing on it. Yeah, exactly. Because he's going to move to Preston as well, apparently. It's reported in the Lancashire Evening Post they're going to try and get him there. Cork City have needed every one of these 18 points because if they do lose O'Connor as well, that gap will more than likely decrease at a rapid at a rapid rate. Yeah. And uh, he'll be badly missed to him, even potentially more so because he, he could be tougher to replace. I'm suffering this pain deep, Dale. Sorry, deep. Great player though, Kevin O'Connor. I'm, I'm glad for him if he gets a move to the Championship. I'm glad for Shawnee that he's going and I've said it once I'll say it again before Shawnee goes at the end of July if you can at all even if you're not a Cork City fan go and watch him at the cross or find out where Cork City are playing and go and watch him he is, he's got great movement he's got a work ethic and he's got a touch as well he really does stand out he's just by far the best player in the league this season obviously some years we'll find out it could be between a few players he's leaving now he could still be the player of the season and he could very well be the top goal scorer come the end of the season Stephen Kenny knows a thing or two about dealing with the best player in the league. Richie Towell was the best player in the league when he was there. Daryl Horgan was the best player. Andy Boyle, not far off. Daryl Horgan in that best player bracket, maybe he was the best defender Mm -hmm. in the league. Obviously, he has lost those two, three actually, over the last couple of years because Horgan and Boyle went at the end of last season. Towell, the season before, Ronan Finn went to Shamrock Rovers and he is an incalculable loss. Yes. So... Dundalk have really been through the ringer when it comes to replacing players in their squad and trying to get guys to step up to the mark. And it's it's really, really difficult because you have to keep in mind how special the players that they've lost are. Now, they have brought in replacements and Stephen Kenny has said it will take time. And Cork City have gone on this kind of freakish run, which you couldn't have predicted, which has rubbed salt on the wound. So they're now 18 points behind City after 17 games going into the break. And after last Friday's game... I spoke to Kenny about how difficult it is to get the guys that he brought in up to the level of the guys that he lost. Yeah, I mean, I think um, you're right. I mean, I think in that we won the double, losing one game the year before last. You know, we we only lost one game all season. But with Stephen O'Donnell, Richie Towell, Ronan Finn, Daryl Hogg, Darren Meenan, centre-backs Andy Boyle and Brian Garton, none of those players were playing tonight. You know, so I think that it shows you uh, um, the turnover that's been over the last year or so. So that we've had, so a lot of new players in. Uh, some of them have brilliant technical ability, uh, but that's not enough. You know, you have to show other qualities, and uh, um, we didn't we didn't show it tonight. Does that just take time for those guys to to learn those qualities, to to show those qualities? Well, I think that you know we've, we've shown we've just been inconsistent. Yeah. You know, we've shown. Uh, in some matches we've been terrific, and um, and uh, tonight we we were anything but. You know, we, 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 we didn't play well at all. And finally, for me, Cork are 18 points ahead, but the season the season's not over because you still have the Champions League campaign to come, and I think that's five games into the next block of games. So when you go into the break now, is it kind of building up to that, trying to get a bit of momentum going into that? Yeah, I think um, you know, I think. That's that's a low point there isn't today, but I think we've got five quick games after the break, um, and we play uh, play the Champions League as you say, the second round. So we, we, you know, we're in the semis of the League Cup, we're in the FEA Cup. So we've we've an awful lot. We have to qualify for Europe through the league. Yeah. Um, I think uh, you know, it's no given right. I think Dundalk they won the league in 1995, but in the interim, 18 years never quali- never even finished near the top four. Yeah. And uh, we've we finished second. We've won the league three years in a row. We're second at the moment. Um, so there's been a lot of good football here this season, and and some poor performances as well. Yeah. So we've been we need we need to be much more consistent, and we need to learn quickly. And uh, just a very very disappointing night for us tonight. We have to put it behind us. This is News Talks SSE Electricity League podcast, and that was Stephen Kenny speaking after the defeat to Cork. They're going on a training camp within Ireland somewhere over the next couple of weeks during the break, and I hope for them it comes right because they were fantastic representatives of the league last year and they may well be again this year. They've got a lot to look forward to still. They're still in second place and they have the Champions League qualifiers coming up. As you said before we heard from Stephen, it's the fact that Cork have been so good this year has magnified Dundalk's second uh, second spot. Dundalk have won over half their games this season. They've won 10 out of 17. But it's just, it's the fact that Cork have only lost, have only dropped two points. It's the 18 point gap. That's the killer. The fact that Dundalk are in second place is not. If, if you said at the midterm break uh, they could be second behind Cork, Kenny might have taken that. It's yeah. just, it's the 18 points and it's Cork's start it, that has been the killer for and Dundalk. And I've seen them a, a few times this season. 
you just can't replace the kind of guys they've lost. Not it takes all. time. Even if the guys that they signed get to that level, it will take time. And they're quite clearly not at that level yet. Also, they've had injury issues. Stephen O'Donnell has struggled. I think Brian Gartland has struggled. And that's, that's tough. It's just really, really hard to sustain the level that they were at last year especially when you lose the players that they've lost they haven't dropped off that much they're still by far the second best team in this league I saw them last month against Sligo Rovers first half very even game Sligo Rovers could have been could have gone in at the break ahead uh, such was the such was the evenness in it second half Dundalk blew them off the park and they did it effortlessly they did it effortlessly they're that good they're still by far the second best team in the league one of the reasons why Cork have been able to go on that run this year is because of their squad. Yes, they've brought in players and now they're losing players, so that'll be a test. But John Dunleavy, it's it's like a new signing. Last year, he missed the entire season through injury. And it was really tough on the lad because he'd been through it even before that. When he was at Wolves as a teenager, he got a bad injury and it really cost him. But he's back playing. He's delighted to be back playing. Everyone who knows him is delighted that the Donegal man, that's where he's from, Donegal, is back as well. And um, I spoke to him about being injured and how tough it was and obviously how they've played this season but before all that after the game in Oriel Park I put it to him that beating Dundalk 3-0 at their home ground is more than just a win it's more than just a standard three points Ah, look it's probably a big step we knew coming up here tonight that it was going to be a massive challenge and it always is when you play against Dundalk you know Washington Um, we came up I thought we put our stamp on the game Um, in general we controlled it and limited their chances a lot and I thought we had a lot of quality in the final third so look we're just delighted with the win now and we'll we'll go and enjoy our mid-season break What's the secret to Cork City's success? so far this season in as much as you can tell us genuinely and, and I, no, as cliched as it is I would say it's hard work more than anything else you know I think we've put, in, we've put in an awful lot of hard work over the last couple of years and we're now reaping the rewards you know between strength and conditioning and you know I suppose you look at the management the squad that they've put together you can see how strong it is the strength and depth coming off the bench now is incredible so um, you know as, as cliched as it is it's hard work but you know the boys were you know we're loving playing together at the moment and hopefully we can continue that nothing wrong with last season you won the cup had a good run in Europe but did Dundalk show and did maybe the Shamrock Rovers team of the past the four in a row team who you're too young to remember did they show that you, you know when you play together for a couple of years just that relationship develops and you begin to do things without thinking about it on the pitch and that that can be the difference between creating a chance and not creating a chance a guy making a run to block an attacker and not making the run absolutely I think you can see how natural it becomes when you play with people and you learn their I suppose the small intricacies of what different people do and what they're good at and things and when that becomes comfortable when you become that comfortable with each other it's a massive help you know and we've got that in the squad the you know the boys have a brilliant relationship everyone you know there's we're, we're as close in it as you're ever going to see so um, as I say look we're, we're not taking nothing for granted we're going well at the moment and we just need to keep it going after the break players want to play and you were denied that chance for a long time yeah. how are you feeling now because you went through a horrific time didn't you ah yeah look um, last year was a long long year you know nine months out for anyone's a long time and as I said before you know there's a lot of dark days when you're out like that days in the gym on your own and stuff but I suppose nights like tonight and last week in Shamrock Rovers make it all worthwhile I mean I've scored a couple in the last couple of weeks and that doesn't happen very often I must do the lotto yeah. um, but you know it's, it's great to be back out there and playing regularly and um, you know that's what I've worked hard to get and when the lads won the cup and went on those went on the run in Europe last year I know you were behind them I saw you cheering literally saw you cheering them on but as a player it must have been in in, in some ways really dark to to see guys that you train with doing that and you're, you can't be a part of it because of the injury naturally it's tough to sit out and watch you know that's uh, any player wants to play at the end of the day um, I suppose the thing about it is I've been down here for almost six years now so I've become as, a fan as much as anything else you know so I was supporting the boys last year but there's nothing nothing compares to being out there and playing yourself on, on those big days so look I'm delighted to be back at the moment and please God I'll keep going well are you enjoying it even more now that you're back are you doing things differently do you approach it differently because you know what it's like to, to not play I think so I think I'm enjoying it more I'm taking you know I'm enjoying all the occasions more and you know I've seen the I suppose I've had a lot of a lot of injuries at this stage I've seen the dark side yeah. of the game and all that so it's just about enjoying it enjoying my football and stuff and you know thankfully we're going well at the moment so it's, it's easy to enjoy it you have a very good squad which, which puts pressure on you as an individual to play but also it means that if you need a rest or if you have a niggle and need to sit out you know there's guys there who will do a job. Absolutely, there's lads chomping at the bit to get in the team, you know. I mean, you're afraid to get injured at the end of the day because if you're out, you might not get back in. Um, but that's what you want and that's what the manager wants. It's a problem for him, but a very, very good problem to have and that strength and depth is definitely one of the keys to us this year. And what's it like? I mean, we always hear this, particularly, we'll say, for example, like the Kilkenny Hurlers or the Dublin footballers. They always say our training games are like inter-county matches because guys are fighting so hard and they want to show the manager they should be picked. What's it like for you guys? I know the games come more thick and fast than they would for her 
hurlers and footballers, yeah. especially at the big time of year. But what's it like? Do, is there a bit of a competitive edge to training, and is, is that a good thing? Oh, it's seriously intense. Like training is seriously intense. The small side of games are, you know, life and death. At the More end intense of the this year than last year? Um, I wouldn't say so, but you know, probably just as intense, I'd say. And then, as I say, we've become more strong and more strong and fit just due to the work that we've been doing. But I mean, we did a session there on Tuesday, and to a man, we said it was probably the best training session that any of us have done, you know, in a long, long time. It was so intense, and yeah. the quality was there. Um, and you know, we're reaping the rewards that we're showing the quality that we have on the pitch. And as I say, look, we just we're taking nothing for granted. We just have to keep that going. And again, I'll, I'll make the hurling comparison. I read an article by Jackie Tyrrell. I wouldn't know much about hurling now. Okay, well, well, they, they, they've won a Laurie Marr or Christy Ring, captain yeah. by a Waterford man, actually. I might right, add. Right, right. But basically, what what a lot of players say is like, if you're a Kilkenny defender, and over the years, if you were in training, marking Henry, and you did a good job, Henry Shefflin, that would give you confidence. So in training, you've got some forwards. You know, is it hard to 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 get confidence out of marking them because? You know, they, they've got the beating of anyone or, or you know, can you do a good job? You know, how does it work? I suppose it's just it's a challenge every day and that's what you have to embrace. You know, at the end of the day, the quality that we've got in that front three um, and the lads that come in off the bench. I thought the boys even tonight they came in off the bench make a massive difference, you know. Um, but you test yourself every day against that quality and I suppose the harder you train, the easier the match is, you know. Yeah. And just before I let you go, 18 points clear and I know the answer you're going to give me is the right one, to be fair to you. Yeah. Nothing won yet. But it's years to lose, for sure. I, look, I suppose it is, but we don't look at tables and we don't look at you know anything like that. We perform from week to week, and that's what we've done from the start of the year, and that's what we're going to continue to do. As I say, nothing for granted, and when we come back after the break, we'll be raring to go again. How do you keep the minds focused? Um, look, it's it's very easy. The management team in there are going to keep us very grounded, and I, I think that's within the squad anyway. The players that we've got, there's going to be no getting ahead of ourselves. So um, we'll we'll be we'll go away now. As I say, we'll have a couple of days now, enjoy our free time, and come back in raring to go glad of the break or has it come at the wrong time because you're in such a good run of form um, I know I think it's probably look it's a bit of both we're, hopefully we can keep that going after the break and I think to go away now recharge the batteries refresh the minds and stuff come back in ready to go and ready to go for the second half of the season in Europe as well it'll be, you know, it'll be brilliant a Donegal man who has been at Wolves and has spent five years in Cork so Dan why wouldn't I talk to him about Kilkenny hurling I hope he got the comparison I was trying to make and that it was a real compliment if I compare you to Kilkenny hurling I'm comparing you to the best of the last few years maybe not last year potentially this year oh they lose one all Ireland and you're having a pop I am yeah typical Dan listen what about Sligo Rovers third from bottom going into the break they're on 16 points they're one ahead of St Pat's and two ahead of Galway one behind Drada who are ninth it's been pretty underwhelming and I think your boys by the way of <laughs> yes. course we should clarify you are a Sorry. Sligo fan yeah uh, it's been very underwhelming so far I started uh, opening night of the season it was a 5-1 loss to Limerick and from there things went downhill obviously Dave Robertson left uh, last month Jared Little came in I've been impressed by Little so far he's had some good results some poor results too but he seems to be ringing a newfound structure to the team uh, he's a straight talker if the, team is, if the team is playing well he'll come out and say as much and also if the team aren't playing so well he'll do the exact same so Friday, uh, Friday night scoreless draw against Van Harris many people expected it to be a good game turned out from uh, people I was speaking to Adit it was an absolute stinker and he said as much afterwards that's right. He was speaking to Jessica Farry. I was thinking even before the game, going if we win the night, you know, his break's going to come at a bad time, you know, because it's going to upset our momentum. And I think maybe now it's a good time. Um, and and hopefully, you know, personally, me as a player, if I'm going away, if I was a player myself, I'd be going away for a week and, and having a good think of, you know, what I need to do to to, to help Slager Rovers to get out of the, the situation we're in. Um, and and I hope players are going away thinking about their game and think, thinking about here because then they listen if, if you're on a job and you're not meeting your targets then something has to go something has to give and, yeah. and at this present time our players aren't meeting their targets and you know and, that, and that's just the, 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 the bottom line that's the fact that it matters so if you're not reaching your targets then you know something has to be done and, and, and that's what as I say we have to we have to find a way to this is News Talks SSE your Tricity League podcast and that was Sligo boss Gerard Little speaking to Jessica Farry Dan, he's a straight shooter. I think people like that. How do you think it'll go down within the squad and amongst the fans? What he said there, that basically, if you're in a job and you're not hitting your targets, you need to have a look at yourself. I can't say for the players, but for the fans, it's gone down very well. Obviously, last year, Rovers finished just outside the European spots. Uh, they had a very good end to the season under Dave Robertson. This year has been the exact opposite. They're in 10th place. To have the nucleus of the squad that they had from last year, obviously players like Jimmy Cahan, Achille Campion have left to go to Cork City. Gavin Pearce moved on to St. Pat's. But the nucleus is still there and they've done far worse this year. So it shows 
that the standards that were there last year haven't been met this year and by yeah. the fact he's saying that out in public if he's saying that in public I can only imagine what he's saying to the players behind the scenes I guess I kind of now know what it's like to be a Sligo fan looking at Cork City they come in they take your best players yes. as in I know now you look at Preston the same way you, I look at Preston the same way you look at Cork and I've also seen uh, I think it was Neil Reardon in the Sun had it uh, last weekend that uh, Sligo Rovers defender Regan Donlan is now on the radar of Cork City so that's that's massively welcomed. Uh, for Derry City, it has been a, a tough season so far. Obviously, they lost Ryan McBride. Since that, I think they've shown a, a pride and a professionalism that the man himself would have been proud of. And what would make him especially proud, and these are Kenny Shields' words, not mine, is that there has been a lot of young local lads involved in keeping them in the hunt for Europe, keeping them on the tails of Dundalk. They're just three points behind after 17 games. After their 2-1 win against Galway at McGinn Park last Friday night, uh, Shields assessed how the young players have done with their colleagues from Match Night Live on Drive 105. And why not? Hey, let's blow our trumpet because it's 10 games undefeated. Okay, we can dress it up. Three ones and seven draws, something like that. But 10 games undefeated with the shallow squad and getting a couple of lads out of school to come in and you know it's I can't sing their praises enough the players have been unbelievable and I'm sure you guys take a lot of pride in seeing those young lads from Top of the Hill and from Colmore and from the Craigan from the Bogside I'm sure Ryan McBride will take a lot of heart from that as well because they're his mates they're his teammates and they're from his city it's enormous amount of kids that we have on that side that's doing so well. Kenny Shields speaking to our friends and colleagues from Drive 105's Match Night Live commentary team. Dan, because we're removed from it, I guess we don't realise how hard it still is for Ryan McBride's family, his teammates and indeed the city of Derry. When you're not around something, it does move to the back of your mind. Yeah. You don't realise that it's still hard it still hurts and I guess the nature of life is that people move on but those close to someone who has passed away or those close to such a terrible incident they find it very difficult to move on so my admiration of Derry the squad the family of Ryan McBride and indeed the people of the city I can't express it in words because they are still going through such a difficult time since Ryan's tragic passing, obviously beforehand Derry were doing very well at the top of the table. They, I think they'd all did won all their games. But since then, their form dropped a little. Whatever happened to Derry for the rest of the season, no one could have judged them on their performances. Whatever way the team and Kenny Shields reacted, what they've done is, has been absolutely remarkable. He has a very young squad. Uh, when players, and uh, Derry is a very, lo- it's a very locally based squad, a lot of these yeah. players would have dreamed of playing for Derry City. The dream of playing in the Brandywell, winning leagues, winning FEI Cups. What is nowhere near their thoughts is that they would lose a captain in such tragic circumstances. The fact that Derry have come back so strongly, they're in third place, they're on a winning run after uh, sort of poor form, understandably after yeah. after Ryan's death. They've come back, they're winning games once more, they're playing good football. Shields has them playing in a good way and that has to be massively respected that they're doing so well so soon after such tragedy. How they've held themselves, their composure, it's just been so impressive and the McBride family themselves, well mm-hmm. done to them because a couple of weeks after their their brother, their son passed, yeah. they announced the um, initiative that is the Ryan McBride Foundation where they'll try and help young kids from around that area mm-hmm. achieve their goal of playing professional football and yeah. achieve their goal of playing football at a high level. And to see something positive come from Ryan's passing like that it's just so impressive what, they, what, really what they're doing. The, uh, the McBride family, the people of Derry and, and the people of the club. Um, speaking of honourable, yes. Bohemians, yes. big well done to them because... Massively so. I spotted it, Richie McCormick uh, tweeted it, was it Friday night or before uh, Friday, yeah. whatever it was anyway, over the weekend at some point. They've sent out an invite to all of those in direct provision centres that they're welcome to come to the games for free. Basically a direct provision centre for those of you who don't know is where people who are waiting asylum yes. and citizenship even maybe asylum yes is it just yeah. asylum okay well it's basically where they have to live while they're waiting on that and they can't go to work and they can't live as citizens so obviously they don't have a pile of cash and maybe sometimes they don't feel part of the community and no one 
puts their hands out yeah. and welcomes them. Well, both have. Well done to them. I, my admiration for them is just, yeah. wow, I, just, I can't express it in words. Richie, who can be very high and mighty at times about uh, his beloved Bohemians, deserved to stand on a high pedestal last Friday when this news came out. It's yep. been, uh, it's a brilliant idea from Bohemians, as we've seen before at the club. They're one of the most socially progressive teams in the league obviously two years ago with the marriage equality referendum they came out in support of it they've done many things uh, with refugees and now with the direct provision centres inviting people to uh, to the club but when you're when you're a Dublin club it's very hard to yep. it's very hard to gain uh, and insert a community atmosphere into a club a few years ago I lived in Drunkander I was basically bang in the middle of Dalyman Park and Talca Park and you saw very little of either team and that has nothing to do with the teams and all the hard work they do but it's very hard to gain that community mentality and doing so by inviting these people along who, are, who aren't who are having the best of times as it is yeah. but inviting them with open arms to Dalyman Park needs to be applauded Yeah well done Bohemians and it's it's something I guess as a GA person It's just a pity the Sol scored a straw Well yeah <laughs> but I'm sure they'll see some exciting games as the season continues um, It's something in GA that we, we kind of lay claim to we're the ones with the community spirit uh, we're the ones who are all about the parish and no other sport kind of does it like we do in many ways that's kind of correct because the GA is in every parish where there, whereas there's not a football club in every parish mm. and there certainly isn't a League of Ireland club in every parish I've always thought that's something that League of Ireland clubs need to work on more getting into the community becoming part of that kind of parish ethos be- becoming part of that local ethos I appreciate it's different because again they're not in every community but this helps you know, stuff like this so. and it's and, and this might sound a little cynical and it's far from it it's brilliant publicity for the League of Ireland at times when it's looking for things but Bohemians aren't doing it for the publicity they're doing it because as I've mentioned they're one of the most socially active clubs in the country and under Matt Devaney their chairman they've put themselves out there as this as this club with this reputation and I think it has to be ma- ma- widely commended right it's time to talk to our special guest a special guest we've wanted to talk to for a while I'll give you some hints as to who it is. Dan, do you know who it is? I have an idea, but I'll let you get yeah, the answer. Well, you do because we said it at the start of the podcast who it was and you were there when we recorded the interview earlier. And it was a pleasure to speak to him. Absolutely, it was. Let's give uh, you a hint as to who it is, just in case for whatever reason you missed the start of the podcast. Um, he won two FAI Cups as a player with Shamrock Rovers in 68 and 69. He won three as a manager, two with Shells, one in 96, one in 97. And then 10 years later with Cork City, who he also won a League of Ireland title with in 2005. Also, during his playing days, he represented Ireland three times. It is a pleasure to welcome onto the podcast Damien Richardson. We spoke to him a little bit earlier on. Over the last couple of years, he had some health issues, so I started off quite simply by asking, how was he? I'm good. I've been very quiet. I've, I've, I've stood back from the from the scene. I'm living at the moment in London, but I'm, I'm burning my time I, I, between Ireland uh, Kent and we've got a place out in Spain that we're using as well so uh, I haven't been back to Ireland for a while I went over for uh, Noel Feeney's funeral in Cork a couple of months back um, but I've had a, an operation I'd have my prostate removed and that took last year out of the equation for me so thankfully everything is good I'm back to myself and uh, it's good to start getting in touch with people and I'm coming over in a couple of weeks and get a couple of games in if I can And it'll be great to see you all well health wise that's really good to um here, but obviously it was quite serious, so it must have been quite a fright. It, it, it wasn't a fright as such, because when 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 you get the news, somebody said when I first got the news, somebody said to me, "Here you got bad news," and my reaction was, "There is no such thing as bad news. There's only news. It's how you take it, interpret it, that makes it good or bad." And uh, I took it as a positive because I at least knew what was wrong with me. I knew what the what the, what was ahead of me. So we, I was able to go into it with a clear mind and, and, and an open spirit, so to speak. So. But it was still a difficult journey. I still had some... Last year was a very bad year. Um, but this year, I, I'm, I'm back to my best. I'm, I'm, I'm getting great enthusiasm again. And, and most important of all, all the cancer I had is gone. So, so mm-hmm. that was a hard year. It was a year that was very worthwhile, in my, my uh, opinion, really. And Damien, we're delighted to hear that you're 100% fit and healthy. Um, is it particularly tough for someone who's involved with football? Because... You're a great footballing man. You always brought life to teams. You uh, you obviously were a professional player as well. So is it very difficult for someone who was always healthy, always fit, always active to hear such such bad news or, or as you put it yourself, such news? Yes, it, it is. It is it, everything depends on the individual. I mean, I've learned that in football and in football is just a great reflection of life itself. Um, 
it, it, it is. It depends on who you are and what sort of character you have, what sort of personality you have. Um, you're right. When, when you've been a sportsman, you've been fit all your life. When something bad hits you, it can it can knock you sideways. But only if you let it. I mean, I've learned enough in, in football and in life itself to realise that, uh, irrespective of the conditions that abound around you, the, the thing you've got to try and do is still retain as much control of your existence as you possibly can. So you don't, I don't give in to the illness, I didn't give in to the illness, but I respected the illness. I never thought there was a battle between me and the cancer. I don't look upon it like that. I look upon it that there's something wrong with me, I'm in the hands of good people, and although it took a little bit longer than they anticipated and I expected, the whole point of the exercise was at the end of the day to get those words saying you're cleared, everything is great, and I've been back three or four times since over a period of months, and the same thing applies. So anybody who's hit by illness suddenly, it can knock you sideways. To recover from being knocked sideways, you've got to understand what you want, and then the next thing is to know how to get it. I knew I wanted my full health back. I wrote it down. I kept speaking to myself. I wanted full health back. I went through all the procedures, all the, the different operations, that, that, that two operations that were, the experts were, were, were willing to do. But through it all, I tried to remain the, the, the guiding force that I wanted to get this full fitness back, full health back. And... To arrive at that maybe about six, eight months ago, to knowing that I had no more illness and regaining my health, and now to be where I am today, is very fulfilling. Um, but it shows you how precarious life can be. You can be fit like I've been all my life, and all of a sudden something can hit you that you realise you haven't got control over. Not for a short while anyway. And, but it, I think it comes down to how you react. Different people react in different ways. And Damien, it might seem like a silly question, but obviously in football we're all very passionate about it. You were passionate as a manager, as as a player, and then occasionally as a pundit. For Dan and I, we're passionate as fans, and we get wrapped up in silly little things, be it a win, a draw, a loss, a referee's decision, whatever. But yeah. does all of that kind of stuff get knocked into perspective when something like this happens? I think everything in life gets knocked into perspective. I I was never one that the game consumed, Oshin. I mean... Uh, I read about managers and, and, and Pep Guardiola at the, the highest level and they, how they, the game consumes them. It takes them. They, they look at videos and DVDs early hours into the morning. They, they, the whole life revolves around. I have never been like that. I've always been very happy to, to have a family life outside of football. Um, and I've been lucky that I've had a good family. My, my, my wife and followed me wherever I went and gave me a full backing. And that was very, very important to me. But it also made me realize as time went on, I had to repay that favour, that, that, that sort of love, if you like. And I always maintained that as important as football was to me, it was an integral part of my life, I realised it wasn't all of my life. And I never let it become all of OK, I did get passionate. Sometimes my passion overran because we're all the same. We're all human. We all want the best we can get. But at the back of it all, I realised that football was only a part of my life and you're the part of my life I wasn't going to ignore. So when, when I was hit by the illness, it was just the illness took, took over from the football. But my family life remained the same. And a big part of my recovery and also my life in football was the backing of my family. And you're right, I do realise now more than ever that the, the value of a, of a good family is, is priceless. There's nothing that you could even begin to compare it with it. But also your health is very, very important, be it mental health or physical health or psychological health. That's very, very important. And we're living in a time where that tends, all those things tend to get overlooked in their pursuit of whatever the goal is. In a footballing sense, it's silverware, as you mentioned earlier. But to me, silverware is never the be-all and end-all of, of football. I wanted to be the best I could as a player, and I know I did not realise my true potential as a player. And I look back at my career, and if I, if I have a regret in a footballing sense, that's it. I did not realise my true potential. So when I went into management, my, my sort of idea, my ideology became I wanted every player I played with to try and realise the true potential that they had and that was more important to me than, than, than winning trophies, to inspire people to see their potential, to feel their potential and try and achieve that potential is more important to me than medals or cups or, or plaudits. To have that little satisfaction in the dressing room when you realise you helping people and indeed they're helping you to become better every day it's a beautiful feeling and that, that to me was the most important part of my managerial career certainly 
Damien, I've been listening to you speaking to Ushin for the last few minutes and one thing I've noticed is that if you had never mentioned at the start that you had gone through a health scare in the last 12 months, no one would have noticed. Also, when people go through scares, they may fade a little, their voice may change. You sound like the exact same Damien Richardson that we've been used to seeing on the TV and on the touchline for years. So you seem to have come through this and you seem to have come out on the far side very strongly. Yes, I have. Stronger, in actual fact, is the way it is because if whatever you're chasing... You've, you've got, I said earlier, you're going to know what you want and then you're going to know how to get it. In a medical sense, I was in the hands of experts who knew how to get what I wanted and they helped me get what I wanted. But I remained the driving force in all of it. Certain things happened in a couple of different hospitals that I didn't agree with. So I, I overlooked them. I, I ignored them and I went my way. And I like the fact that if you keep a clear head and an open mind and you know what you're looking for, your instinct, I'm a great believer in the instinct inside every individual, particularly those with talent, but everybody has, everybody has an instinct that needs honing, that needs uh, improving, that needs progression. And when you have that, you, don't, you reject fear. Fear is, is the worst aspect of sport. It's the worst aspect of, of, of health, particularly when health goes against you. Fear is, 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 takes away your freedom. And if it takes away your freedom as a footballer or as a manager, it can take away your freedom as an individual in, in life. And when illness hits you, if you allow fear to control, then you're passing up your freedom. And if you're giving your freedom away, you're giving everything away. So I remained as strong as I could. I had a couple of really bad times. Um, but through it all, I had this belief that everything would work out in the end. That it has, and I'm back to what I consider to be my very best, as, as you kindly say, is, is very fulfilling. But also it makes me realise also how lucky I am. You said there at the very start, Ocean, that you're now uh, you're living in England at the moment. Obviously, you had uh, you were there mostly at Gillingham as a player and a manager. Have you did you keep those roots there, or when you moved back to England, was it sort of starting afresh, or have you always had those roots in Gillingham? No, I've been very lucky wherever I went that I've, I've created friendships, and uh, I, I'm, I'm my idea when when I when I left Rod as manager a few years ago was myself, my wife, as again to repay all my family who dumped me that we would spend some time in Dublin, some time in Kent, because I have three children and her two grandchildren live in London, and with one of the, one of the children at the moment. And, uh, and then we'd also spend time in, in Spain. So we spent time uh, the year before last, the winter in Lanzarote, and we, we alternate between Dublin and Kent. We have a holiday place in Kent, a home in Dublin, and, and a place out, out, out in, in, in Spain. So that was the idea, and that's what I, I wanted to do for the future, and that, that's the sort of thing that I still want to do. The illness knocked it back last year. I, I, I couldn't do anything. Um, it was a difficult year, but it was a very good year in the end because everything turned out right and the hardship I endured, as you said, will only make me stronger as a result of it. But um, I, the, the, the other things, I've, I've lost touch with the game back home. I haven't seen a game this season. I saw a few games last year, but I haven't seen a game this season. Though I've kept in touch with talking to people. I still have connections, friends in Kent, friends in Ireland, and creating friends in Spain. So I've got the, not the best of both worlds, the best of three worlds, if you like. Damien, uh, one thing we really wanted to talk to you about was not so much tactics, not so much what you did on the pitch, not so much what you did off the pitch, but your vocabulary. We have learned many, many words from you over the years. Where did that come from? Because you're an incredibly well-spoken man, and over the years, you've stood out because of it. Well, when I... I don't know where it, it's an artist thing, obviously. And when I was growing up in Dublin, I loved the the the, the way I'm, I'm. I grew up in the fifties, and Dublin was obviously a different time in the fifties. And there were the effects of the Second World War were still being felt in that. But the influence of of the English influence in Dublin has been uh, big down through the, the last couple of centuries, the last century in particular. And I grew up in in a Dublin where. There was a great desire on behalf of a lot of people just to speak properly, to read and to speak properly. And there's a thing called, we all know, malapropisms that, that used to abound in Dublin. Ollie Bourne, for example, that, that wonderful character at Shelbourne, was, was a great dealer in, in, in malapropisms. He, 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 was, he was a great speaker, but he dealt, he sometimes used the wrong word in the wrong context. So I grew up in a Dublin where, where people had this desire to read a lot and before television, where radio was very, very important, to increasing the imagination of people and the vocabulary of people. I had a, a great English teacher once in Denor Avenue uh, uh, Primary School, and he taught me the value of, 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 of the written word. And I used to love doing essays with him and he, he, would, he would keep me enthralled. And that was something that stood with me. As I, as I became a footballer, I, I, I 
you to do interviews, and I used to get myself into a frame of mind. I still do. I did it for, for, for you, for example, this morning, Oshin. I get myself into a frame of mind where I try and be calm, cool, and collected, and I think about what's saying. But when I became manager of Gillingham, I did the, the, the obligatory managerial notes, and I realised when I went to, to, to different grounds, Sheffield Wednesday, different grounds around England and all over England, every manager's notes were the same. They opened up, a, we like to welcome whoever the opposition yeah. were. And then it was almost political speech at the end of that, the generalities. And I just decided at one time to, to change it and to do something that would grab people's attention, to make it more interesting. Because when I was managing Gillingham, we had to try and uh, get every opportunity to get gather publicity, to try and increase the, the revenue both on, on match day and, and, and through sponsorship. And when I came back to Dublin, uh, when I came back to Cork Force initially in, in the early 90s, it, it, I, I took it to another stage. And a lot of the time it was sort of nonsense, I have to say, in the beginning until, until, I, until I gathered a sort of order about me. Um, but it took on a life of its own. I started innocently enough to try and do something different, to make the managers know it's a little bit more entertaining, a little bit more readable. And then it took on a life of its own. But I think the small answer to, to, to what you're saying is that I think it's the Irish in me and Irish people have a, a great command of the English language quite ironic but it's true nonetheless well it's like my other half says and she's from Connemara so she had to learn her English she said because we have to learn it maybe it's a little bit better I just want to read you a couple of your, your quotes that I found it takes two to tango but for a tango to show its exhilaration you need two people performing it there was only one team tangoing tonight and one of the ones that's my favourite football is a ballet of wondrous beauty choreographed by a highly skilled performers dramatising the conflict between good and evil that take, takes place in every heart and at the same time, it reflects the impatient immediacy of modern society in that success breeds immortality, while the procurement of second place begets anonymity. <laughs> yes, now you're bringing back memories now, Oshie, and I can tell you. <laughs> can you imagine me and my own conjuring all those words together? I can imagine the poor programme editor. <laughs> and uh, Damien, the leaving sort of starting here on Wednesday morning, so I can only imagine if you were doing it uh, this time, and the and the English examiners looking at your looking at your creative prose, they wouldn't have a clue what to say. No, no, no. no. Well, I mean that in itself is a compliment because I mean it it it, it, it engendered a lot of uh, talk down through the years, and and a lot of people complained about it. Most people accepted it. So a few people understood it. But anything that gets people talking um, in a good way is, yeah. is I think, very worthwhile. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted that people are still looking at quotes. I mean, I've started back writing over, only over the last couple of months. I've written a short story that I'm, I'm trying to see if there's any merit in it. Um, and I always found down through the years that writing, even as a schoolboy, writing took me into a different world. Um, even more than re- reading, we understand, takes you into the world of the, of, of the book or the magazine, wherever you're reading. But when you're writing, you go into your own world and you're creating a world from your own mind. And I found that hugely therapeutic. Um, e- even through, through my illness, I, I, at times I just took a pen and paper and then I got, when I got to the, the laptop, I, I start writing things. And I found that took me away from everything and gave me a great period of relaxation, almost meditative, in that I, I, I entered a different world. And I, 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 I found that very, very therapeutic, very, very helpful, as I always have. And I would recommend it to anybody that if you're ever feeling down or in a difficult time, sit down, either at a computer or a pen and paper, and write your thoughts down. Write your emotions down. It's only for yourself, mostly. Nobody will ever read it. But in transferring your thoughts and your emotions and your worries, your doubts, and even your ambitions to, 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 to paper... I think it does do the world of good. It, it, it corrals the mind and gets rid of gets rid of uh, the the, uh, the the rubbish. It, it subjects you to, to to a plan, to an ambition, to an aim, and it, and it helps propel you in a proper direction. But most important of all, it tends to give you more control of your own destiny. And ultimately, that's the most important part of life. Never mind sport. How did you talk to the players? Did you use the same kind of terminology and words that you would use in your program notes, or did you? Did you dumb it down? It, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't a case of dumbing it down. I have to admit, often I use words um, to, to, to try and check players, to see if they were paying attention. I'd throw a word in every now and then that sometimes didn't make any sense whatsoever. And to see what I get, would, would players just lift their eyebrows? Because a lot of players in the dressing room tend to, 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 to be in their own world. They want to be in their own world. 
And when a manager's talking, too many of them sometimes are not really listening. And you have to know, some players are best left in their own world before a game. Some players need the, the soothing words of a manager. Some players need the motivational words of a manager. So you've got to know your, your team, your individuals. Football is always based on the one individual. If the one individual is right, then he'll, he'll impress the next individual and it'll spread throughout the team. And I used to use words sometimes just to, just to check the players. And sometimes you got a very funny reaction. Sometimes you got, but rarely did you get no reaction. And the players began to understand that. And I think even in, in using words and in trying to use English properly, it's like trying to play the game properly. We can all dumb down our language. We can all dumb down our game. We can all do dumb down our ambitions, if you like. But I think that the beauty of my life in football and, and the, the most enjoyable and, and fulfilling aspect of it was the fact that I was always looking for better, always looking for better from myself. And when you're in a dress room with talented people, you're a privileged man. And when you talk to the talented people and they listen to you, you become even more privileged, but you also gather, gather a responsibility with that. And if you can inspire the players, motivate the players is relatively easy. But inspiring the players is the real art of management, in my opinion. And if you're good enough and talented enough to inspire players, then I think you yourself are an inspirational figure. I've always tried to do that. I try and do it with my own kids. I worked in a juvenile prison. I worked in, in schools over here in England for six, eight years, secondary schools. And I always try to motivate and inspire youngsters to, to believe in themselves and, and to, to set the path out, know what they want, and then try to know how to get it. And uh, the football is the same, the very, very same. But the words, and words are a very important aspect of that. But one thing, if they've gone on too long, I learned words are only about 40%. Players only taking about 40% for managers, what a manager's saying. About 40, 50% is his body language, his presence in the dressing room. If you haven't got the presence in the dressing room, what you're saying will go out the, out the window. Won't go into the ears of the players, it'll go out the window of the dressing room. So you've got to have an ability to talk to players, inspire players, and it's based on the manager's confidence in his own ability. That is the key element of everything, in my opinion. Damien, you've spoken there about the sort of ch- uh, speaking to players for matches and the ability to inspire them. How difficult was it to inspire players like you? I'd say you could have gone through maybe two or three generations of players from, your, from the time you started managing at Gillingham up to Drogheda. Looking at it here, it was exactly 25 years from the start to uh, from the start at Gillingham to your spell at Drogheda. So how difficult did you find it to see all these new generations of players coming in, you uh, having to deal with things that would have, maybe even now with the advent of social media, you have to deal with things that didn't even, that didn't even exist 10 or 15 years ago. So how were you able to sort of freshen things up consistently to make sure that the players were always interested and what you had to say? That's a good question because it, it's something that's dear to my heart. It, it, times change, um, people change, patterns change, habits change. But one thing remains the same. In a game, the game has changed. The game doesn't change, it alters. It, it goes through different patterns over the decades. But the, the game is still based upon each individual putting his talent, blending it into a cohesive unit with the rest of his team. And I found that very, very easy in the being good. We, we grew up playing football in the street and the love of the game was paramount. It was more important than anything else. You couldn't get enough of playing football on the street. Bearing in mind we had no television in those days and so you tend to spend most of your time out playing in the street, different games, but football was the, the game we mostly played and you play it morning to evening. Um, but I, so there was, a, there was a greater sense of, of, of involvement in the game even in those days. But as the game has progressed, more important, as society has progressed, I found young players, young people becoming more insecure, not having that rigidity of, of who they were and where they came from. As society changed, when I grew up, I was near my grandmothers, both my grandmothers. I spent a lot of time there, my aunts and uncles. But as Dublin changed and got bigger, that sort of family pattern broke up to a great extent. And youngsters growing up in the world nowadays find that the both parents are working, so they come home to an empty house and they have to look after themselves. They maybe get their own tea or get their own snacks or they have, to, they have to devise their own time. And as a manager, I found that, and I found this when I was working in prison as well, I found there was a greater deal of insecurity in, in young people than there was 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, certainly. And you had to talk to people in a different way. You had to try and get them to trust you in the beginning. When I started there as management, it was expected you were the manager. You knew what you said, what you were talking about. We listened to you. 
But as, as the kids, be, children became more insecure and, and players coming into the game became less sure of who they were and what, what the position was, I found you had to talk to individuals more than you had to talk to the, to, to, to the collective. And in talking to individuals, if you talk to them the right way, they, they, they want, they want you, so most of them want you to, to, to find out who they are, to help them discover who they, they are and who they want to be. Some, you found it very difficult to talk. Same as in, in, in doing prison work, I found a few youngsters very, very difficult. They were afraid of everything and everybody. But understanding that society is changing and it's different nowadays means you have to talk in a different way. And I think the art of management However, even today, it's still the same as it was in the 50s or 60s when I was young and playing. It, it, it is all about the manager knowing the individual, knowing how to talk to the individual. Some individuals, I would come in at halftime knowing I had to give a rollick into. Some would come in knowing I had to put my arm around them. And one in particular, I knew I had to come in and criticize him through praise to get the best out of him in the second half. So it's all about knowing the individual. But here's the, the crux of it. To know the individual... And each individual, you've got to know yourself and you've got to trust yourself. You've got to be able to talk to people from a position of faith and confidence and, and belief that, that what you're saying to them is right. And when you see those changes come about in the players that you're talking to individually and they're blending into a cohesive unit, that is the most satisfying aspect of football, as I said to you earlier. Far more important to me than medals, far more important than cups. Because you're not only influencing people in the short term, you're also in, in, uh, helping people, inspiring people, hopefully in the longer term. Damien, just to talk about Cork City, I know you haven't seen too much of them this season, but they're 18 points clear at the top of the SSE or Tricity League as we go into the break. I'm sure you're aware of that. Mm-hmm. You were the last manager to win the league with them in 2005. That was your second spell in charge in Cork. And for a city that big with that big an interest in football and I'll say county that big as well actually because the support comes from all over the county it, it even goes over the county boundary into Waterford in my case but look that's another uh, discussion um, Stewie Byrne has said it on a couple of occasions they should have won more but maybe there's a mental weakness about Cork with your experience in Cork you're, you're very well placed to answer that question Yes the, 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 when I was when we won the league in 2005, I said at that time that the, my aim with the chairman, Brian Lennox, at that time too, was that Cork were going to win one of the big trophies at the very least every second year. So every, every three years, we're going to have a, a league and a cup at the very least. And you're going to get involved in Europe as well. And, and that didn't materialize. It's not necessarily that, that it's a lack of bottle, because if you look at Cork teams and all the other codes down through the years, they've been very successful. It, it, it's, Cork has never, rarely, down through the, the 50, 60 years I'm, I, I've been involved with League of Ireland football, has rarely gathered a team together long enough. I remember the great, and I don't use this word lightly, the great Cork Hibernians team that Dave Wigington and Carl Davenport and, and people like that. That was a terrific team. But it broke up after three years when you thought they were going to dominate Irish football for the next decade. And that was symptomatic of what Cork was like. Professional football in Cork is only relatively new in a full-time sense. Going back to the time I was a youngster and then I started breaking in and playing against Cork teams, Cork Celtic and Cork Hibernians, you realise behind the clubs, behind the teams rather, there was a great fragility. People in the, running the clubs weren't um, experienced enough to run the clubs. And when things start going well, they started exuding the, 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 the enjoyment initially and then the arrogance that comes with success to too many directors, too many people behind football clubs. And then they realised before it was over that it was just sand slipping through their hands. And Cork has always been subject to that sort of uh, fragility in the background. Now, in a footballing we, sense or just a general Cork people sense? It, it, no, in a footballing yeah. sense because... Uh, didn't realise what professional football was all about because in Cork everything was the hurling of the football for a long long time and yeah. that was strictly amateur and people understood amateur sport and you, you, you put your time in but when professional sport came it brought a different mentality when Carl Wigginton and, and uh, Carl Davenport and, and, and Wigginton came over and people like that they, they were people they'd never been used to before these were not just not mercenaries but these were demanding people this is how I make my living. My family's coming over to Cork. I need to be looked after. I don't just need to be looked after this year. I want to be here for three years, and I want my money every Thursday night when, when, when it's supposed to come. And when the clubs couldn't provide that, the players then start drifting away, and then they had to start again. Yeah. And what was the difference when to... you came in then in, uh, was it 2004, you came in and won the league in 2005. You came in very, very late in pre-season. What was the difference? 
the difference then was that they'd had three good managers before me. Dave Barry had managed, Liam Murphy had managed, and Pat Dolan had managed. Had, had managed. And they are three strong, powerful individuals who all did their own good job. When I came in in 2005, there was a good base there. Now, I had two ways of uh, facing that. I could break everything up that they do it and put my, force my own, uh, my own personality onto it and do it the way I wanted it to do. But that's not good management. Good management is coming into an office or into a football club and seeing who you have there, sensing who's good, talking to the people concerned. Yes, he's good, he's good, he's good. No, I don't think he's, he'll fit in with what we want to do. But if things were right, and things were, were, were progressively right from Dave Barry's time, Lee Morby's time, Pat yeah. Dolan's time, and I felt that come in, make a few very important alterations, but talk to each individual player. And I did that over the first week or so. I spoke to every player privately. I got to know them, and then I, I, I knew what I had to do from there. But in the background, there was Brian Lennox, who was a source of great strength. He wanted, he knew what he wanted. He had set the pat down, he wanted to win the league. He would go 3 2 1. He got third in his first year, second the following year, and then Brian felt that Pat wasn't going to take it to the, to the ultimate, so he sacked Pat. Then he spoke to me, and he said to me, I want, I, I want you to manage a but. I want you to win the title. That's the only reason you're coming in. So I accepted the terms and conditions, knowing that if I didn't win the title in 2005, I was a failure. And then that was the end of it between me and Brian. So I, I realised that there was a lot of good work going on. Things had improved in Cork quite tremendously. There were some talented players there. I made some very, very pertinent uh, alterations to the pattern and the style of play we had. But it was very important, I realised that, from my previous time in Cork in 93 and 94 when I walked away from a team that would have won the league title and was way ahead in the table at the time because the chairman wasn't paying the players and there was, there was a lot of trouble in the background if I hadn't have made that stand in, in, in 94 and walked away when the team were doing so well and a lot of the players thought I'd, I'd left them high and dry but it was a matter of principle because I knew if I hadn't have walked away then that this thing would persist and carry on all the way through I wasn't willing to be a part of that because I knew what had happened in Cork before when I left Cork in 2005, 2007, things very quickly deteriorated and the same fragility reared its ugly head again. And Cork, when Tom Collin came in, for example, Cork went to the wall again and things were very, very difficult. Thankfully, they've walked the way back and they seem to be much more consistently run now and much stronger based. You've got a terrific manager in John who's, who's a peculiar individual. He won't mind me saying this because he, he's a driven man. Um, and they will definitely win the league this year. And, and they'll take some bidding in, in any of the competitions. But it's, what's happening now is based on the stands certain people made in the past in Cork, of which I'm just one of them. And there were some very, very good people who gave the time, but, and, but most important of all, yeah. were highly principled, ensuring that sometimes, even in the fragile moments, strength was still there. Did you work with John Caulfield as a player? Yes, I did. He was up front with, with Pat uh, Pat Morley when I took over from, from Nolan Manny in 93 and John was John's team is, is, John is the perfect example of a team that reflects the personality of the manager he, he was 110% even when he was having a bad game and John had some bad games but he was always guaranteed to give 100% and he demanded that from those around him so much so that there used to be fights there used to be great disagreements at half time and after games but then after we go out, and those days you always ran for a couple of points after the game, everything was forgotten. And that yeah. Cork team that I took over in 93 and 94, they advanced my ability as a manager. They took me to help me go to a different level because my first training session, I could not believe for the five-a-side, everybody wore shin guards. And I said, these, these, these boys take this seriously. <laughs> and when we... The, the weather, the winter came, and at that time it was winter football. We were ankle deep in mud, not just on the pitch itself, but on the training ground around it. Every ass, every attitude was right when they came. So they were a part-time team at the time with a hugely full-time mentality. Declan Daly, Dave Barry, Liam Murphy, uh, Fergus O'Donnell, Tommy Gaynor, John Moore, John Caulfield, and, and Pat Morley. They were superb attitude. And John is a product of those times. And what you're seeing with Corksey now is a product, John, as a product of those times, instilling that personality into a present-day uh, identity. And it's been hugely successful. I assume you are not surprised that he has proved to be a successful manager. No, I'm not. Because, he, he, like I said to you earlier, he knows what he wants. And he knows the way that he can get it. He does it in his own way. 
And I, I would, I, they wouldn't be the, a team that I would go and watch uh, to, to, to watch great football. But they were the team I'd go and watch to see that they threw to the personality of the manager. And, and they are. And John knew he would, he, what he wanted. He knew he wanted to be a success. And he also knew how to get it. It's taken him three years. But then if this great Dundalk team hadn't have been there, John would have probably delivered a little bit earlier. But this is his time. And this is, this is the way that I'm looking back on, on, on the years, the difficult years, the fragile years, the successful years in, in Cork football down to the last 30, 40 years. This is where it's ending up. And it, 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 this, at the moment, is a football club that is a direct result of all bad years of mismanagement, good years of principal management, and most important of all, the honesty and the integrity of people like John Caulfield and the players I mentioned earlier, Declan Daly, for example. My first team talk... I gave to the players in Bishoptown, and he was going out the door. He took the ball under his arm. When he got to the door, he turned around and said to the players, commanded the players with the wagging of his finger, you all hear the manager, nobody lets him down. And I thought, I've joined a different group of people here. And uh, as, as it turned out, that was everything that was good about Cork football. And I think, again, while difficult times have been there, it's beautiful when this time happens and Cork City is so far ahead in the league, and I think going to get what he actually deserve. Could you be tempted back into management, Damien? Most definitely, yeah. Yeah, I would, because my, my, my belief in management is that the most important aspect of management is experience. Because if one is not good enough, one doesn't gather experience. You're kicked out the door very, very quickly. So if you come a manager and you come with experience, you've been good enough to do the job for a long period of time. My philosophy is that as a manager, the more experience you get, the better you are. When I worked with Drada two, three, two, three years ago now, that was the best I'd worked. Um, it, it was so thoroughly enjoyable. The older you get, the more you've got to be careful. You, you, you put the right people around you. I had Darius Cairns and Neil Fenn with me at Drada, and, and we worked very, very well as a unit. And that's modern football. At one time, a manager was the sole controller. He was, he, he was like the man who, the policeman who stood in O'Connor Bridge and directed, directed traffic, and he, he was in control. Um, but it's not like that anymore. You need to have two or three people around. It needs to be a, a unit, a team in, in management, as well as a team on the park. And then we found that in Drawby had something very, very special. And I left at a very good time. And if I don't go back to management, I'll always be delighted that I left a club like Drawby at the time that, that of my, my career. But I still think that I have, would have something to offer without shadow of doubt. Damien, I know there's a very significant birthday coming up for you in two months' time, and I suppose with the year that you've had, celebrations will be extra special this year. Yes, yes. Uh, for the first time, <laughs> I'm organising a birthday party to celebrate. I, I, I looked upon birthdays all the way through my life. It's just another day. I mean, to me, every day was a blinking birthday. But I've, I've been had a very lucky and privileged life. And getting up in the morning to go training as a player and as a manager was, was pure joy. So when the birthday came, it was just a natural extension. But... This birthday, on the back of the last couple of years I've had, is a special birthday, and uh, we will be celebrating in, in, in befitting style. And one, one, one in England, one in Spain, and then one in Dublin as well. Brilliant so way to do it. Your right, birthday you're tour, right. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> but that, you, you, that's the way it is. You, you, you treasure every day, and I don't. You say you're right to say illness makes you realise it shouldn't require illness to make you realise how special life can be. And although you have difficult times and dark periods, you've always got to believe that you have what it takes to come out of it. And I think that ultimately is the most important part of you as an individual. Damien, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today. We're delighted, absolutely delighted to hear that you're in the full of your health again and that you're driving on and that we may see you on a touchline again, uh, myself and Dan. Honoured to speak to you. Thank you. Great you, Ocean and Dan. And it, it, it's a pleasure to talk to you. And, and hopefully that wish comes through. This is News Talk's SSE Airtricity League podcast and how good was it to hear from Damien Richardson and how good was it to hear that he's fit and healthy again, he's got over his problems. He sounds brilliant, doesn't he? Absolutely fantastic. And it's just great to have him back and whether he comes back to the league or not, it's great that he's in the position that he wants to come back. I would love to have him back. I'm not sure. Has his, has his time passed? And I don't mean that in a bad way. He's out of the league Whoa. now. He's out, he's out of the league three years but as you heard there, when he was at Drogheda, yeah. he had the smarts to bring in a good backroom oh, team. Oh, very much so. And he kept Drogheda up in 2014. Keep in mind how tough a job that was to do. And that was his swan song as it stands, whether that's to change. And if it is the way how he ends his League of Ireland managerial career, he, he genuinely did seem very happy with it. He sounds like a man who is enthused. He wants to get back involved. And he still definitely has something to offer in whatever role. Maybe a director of football role, maybe an advisory role. 
something. It would be great even if he doesn't come back in a managerial capacity that he was back writing about the league. Well, that's almost it for this week's News Talk SSE Electricity League podcast. Uh, we won't be here next week because it is, of course, the mid-season break. So we're going to take one. Although, Dan, we have nothing else going on in our lives. So what will we actually do to fill our time, to fill our days? I suppose on Sunday we could watch the World Cup qualifier between Ireland and Austria. But apart from that, I really don't know what we'll do. And that game is live and off the ball. Do you think Daryl Horgan has any chance of starting? He's uh, impressed in the last couple of games. Uh, starting, no, but I would not be shocked to see him come off the bench. He, I can actually understand why O'Neill would leave him off at the start and then bring him on mm-hmm. because the opposition as much analysis as they do don't know a whole pile about him Correct. and he does just ratchet it up he does just bring that pace up he does open up defences and late in games that can really be an advantage I do think as well he has a touch of the James McLean's about him when McLean started off in 2012 in the Ireland team that if he comes on off the bench people will see a fr- uh, they'll see fresh blood I do think he would give the crowd a lift and whatever the score is with maybe half an hour left yeah. that could be what the Aviva needs and you know as well that he only needs the ball once to create one chance oh exactly unfortunately we possibly don't have the strikers to take that chance but although you can see him putting it across right on Daryl Murphy's head uh, but Robbie Keane's still a big loss we're still waiting for a striker to fill his boots could that striker be Shawnee Maguire who's off to Preston at the end of July the very best of luck to him and depending on when you're listening to this because it's going to be up there for a couple of weeks due to the uh, mid-season break Kevin O'Connor could be a Preston uh, player by the time uh, you're listening so if he is the best of luck to him Um, he'd be a massive loss to City a massive loss to the league but you can't hold them back can you you have to let them go you have to let them roam wild and free if you love something set it free exactly that's it for this week say goodbye Dan bye Dan and you can get him on at Mr Daniel and you can get me on at Oshin Langan enjoy the break we'll talk to you soon bye I know they say if you love somebody you should set them comes down to Dooley knocks it to Maguire back to Dooley Dooley slips it to Shepard Shepard's going to put it across Maguire 1-0 for Cork City and I know they say if they don't come back again then it's meant to be so they say Words don't pull me through Cause I'm still in love with you Shane Griffin puts in a cross. Oh, it's not cut at all well by Massey. Shawnee McGuire is in for his hat-trick. Cork City may not have sealed the title tonight. They may not have it in their hands yet, but they've certainly put down a big deposit. Mark Hangan has left on a falls to Sean Maguire who takes his shot. Yeah! Oh, 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 get it! Get it! Off the ball on News Talk. Thanks to Air. Catch all the sports you love free on the Air Sport Pack with Air Broadband.